Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and we thank you and praise you for the gift of our lives, for the gift of our faith, hope, and love. I ask, Lord our God, that you would show us your tender mercy. Help us to trust in you. Help us to uh, experience your mighty hand to save and protect, to watch over us and, uh, and, and to surprise us, to even shock us with your generosity. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. We trust you and we entrust ourselves to you, especially those most pressing situations that we face today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, I want to encourage you, if you are up early, I am praying at 6 in the morning on Facebook. It's a rosary. It, uh, it's not a typical rosary. It's not just saying the prayers of the rosary. I'm praying, uh, I'm praying for you personally and for your needs personally, as, as well as for many others. Uh, when you go onto Facebook, just look up I Love My Catholic Faith with Dr. Tom Curran. If you sign up for that page to become a fan or a follower, you'll get notifications. Love to have you there praying. And you can always watch the video after the fact, the, the recording of the rosary as well. Even that hopefully could be a blessing to you. All right, enough of that. Uh, today, as I mentioned, uh, it is our Monday edition of the program, and that means we have on priests whenever we can. And so today, I have on a new priest. I've never interviewed him before, and so it's, it'll be a wonderful gift to have him on the program. So without any further ado, let's dive into our program with Father Paul Herrick. Well, I want to welcome to the program Father Paul Herrick. Father Paul is the pastor of St. Boniface Catholic Church, as well as St. Gall in uh, Colton, St. Boniface Parish in Uniontown, and also uh, the pastor at the St. Thomas More Student Center at Washington State University. Father Paul, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Hams. I have to say, go Cougs. Go Cougs. Go That's Cougs. awesome. Now, uh, the Cougs, are, are they pretty much a like football dominant school or are there other sports ah. that are also like our big deals for them? Well, any Pac-12 school, it's basketball and football. And okay. so, yes, uh, Cougs are um, are pretty much a I, powerhouse is a strong word. We have power moments. Um, <laughs> we probably have more power, power moments. cottage, right? Power, power yeah, cottage. But. but you know, it's it's not an easy place to recruit to because it's there's is a palouse and um, but uh, we're doing great. And I'm also one thing a caveat on that is I'm the chaplain for the football team. We can get, get into that, but I just came. So why I look all coached out is I got my hat on and and uh, I have my coog wear. So I'm a committed coog. That's awesome. Now, Father Paul, I got to admit. I have no idea how WSU is doing or really any Pac-12 team. I, it's, I don't know, being up here in Spokane, I mean, it's Eastern Washington up here, but it's really a Gonzaga town and, and there's oh, no yeah. football team. So it's a, uh, we're it's, doing okay. Uh, we're doing okay. We are four, four, I believe, and four wins, uh, three losses or four losses. Uh, we have three more games. Actually, we have five wins, so we're doing okay. We're doing okay. You know, we had a lot of turnover this past year, new coach, um, but we're doing okay, and it's really great. You know, we just started a a um, a Bible study for the football team uh, this past Monday, 
with 12 guys show up. It's interdenominational. Um, we call it the boot. We call it the boot because uh, one of the guys told me his testimony, um, Hudson, and I said, How, where did you ever encounter Christ? And he said, you know, Father, he was a Protestant kid, grew up at uh, he was a big athlete on the West Side. Because I was at some, some camp and the pastor said, you know, he got out of boot and he filled the boot with, you know, Playboy magazine and booze and all these things. And then he said, now we start with an empty boot in our life and we fill the boot with things. And he goes, and then we try to walk around in the boot, those things we put in it define us. And he goes, at that point, I had to really come to grips, even coming from a good Christian family, that my boot was full of wrong stuff. So the title of of the Monday nights is not a Bible study, but it's like, Hey, are you coming to boot tonight? So the title of the new study is called the boot. Nice. I like that. I think that's awesome. Father, that you have the opportunity to be the, um, the chaplain to the football team. I mean, these are big guys. And uh, I think that you are beautifully suited to be someone who can be a credible witness to them. You're kind of a guy's guy and to be able to speak in a way that they can understand, uh, to be relatable and yet to be so focused on Christ and um, believing in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a huge gift for them. And so praise God yeah. that you're in that yeah. place. Yeah, praise God. That's right. It's a blessing. Yeah, for sure. Tom. So, Father Paul, we're um, today on the program. You're you're filling a couple of shoes, not quite boots, but a couple of shoes on our Monday program. Typically, we have Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and I believe you know both of those priests um, coming from the West Side and having deep connections there, as well as being part of the Diocese of Spokane. Uh, I think that uh, you well, you're here. You're here, and folks are tuning in. They're used to listening to them. You're Today, you get to be the, the priestly voice for the folks that are tuning into the program. So I'm excited. That's to, beautiful. Well, I'm honored. Yeah. So Father uh, Father Paul, give us a sense of um, a little bit of your background uh, for folks that don't know who you are and how was it that you felt a call to the priesthood? Tell us a little bit about your family background. I know there's something really distinctive about you and your own family. That's a very, very, it's very rare air in terms of yeah. vocations in a family. So yeah. that's a, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Sure, Tom. I'm from Seattle. I'm the youngest of seven, five boys, two girls, um, very cradle Catholic, went to St. Luke's um, Catholic school. And um, we, um, yeah, really pretty basic. Uh, one thing that you alluded to about what's unique is my oldest brother is Father Bill Herrick. Who is a priest uh, from the diocese of Archdiocese of Seattle, and uh, really my uh, mentor in many ways. He's the oldest of uh, seven, and I'm the youngest, so there's a ten-year uh, span. He uh, went off to seminary when I in eighth grade, and uh, really didn't grow up around my brother. But as the years progressed, we became I consider Bill my best friend. We have a good time, but we're very different. Um, he's certainly the big brother, and I'm certainly the little little brother. Um, but my journey sort of took took me to a, a lot of different uh, space, you know, right out of high school. A lot of my story, Tom, is I went to a public high school, uh, pretty dyslexic, actually, really dyslexic. I was so dyslexic, sometimes I would walk backwards. <laughs> that's a joke. Anyway, backwards, <laughs> dyslexia, that's a bad joke. But anyway, um, and I I just thought, 
I had a deep conversion through the power of the Holy Spirit, a confirmation. Um, if a woman said, you know, do you want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And I was an eighth grade knucklehead, like, well, okay, whatever that is. And literally, God rest his soul, Archbishop Raymond Hunhausen anointed me and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I did. And uh, my heart was forever, ever changed. And so what I really have come to learn is that um, from that point on, my my life was um, radically, radically changed. Um, so much so that um, I ended up going to um, started a Bible study at the church, was sort of an evangelist at campus. Was So it, my faith really took off. Uh, a lot of times people, my mom said, yeah, a lot of my sons might go out and do other things on a Friday night. I never had to worry about little Paul because he was going to Bible study. Um, and so that's I, awesome. Yeah. Well, and I want to ask you a question around this because you said something that is pretty jarring in, uh, in, in the most positive of ways. And it's this, it's that, um, you mentioned that you experienced this fullness of the Holy spirit coming to your life and being released in your life at confirmation. And that's what the church teaches. The church teaches that confirmation is our sharing in the event of Pentecost. It's our personal Pentecost. And yet, if you take, if you talk to the typical Catholic and I'll throw myself into the mix there, when I was confirmed in eighth grade, I did not have any kind of experiential way existentially apparent to me, any kind of experience of Pentecost, uh, do you have any sense of like, God has his hand on our lives for his own purposes, but do you have any sense of what was it that disposed you to have that happen? Or was it just purely mercy and grace? I mean, what, what was it? It's so good, Tom, you know, um, I don't know. (laughs) On one hand, I, I know that in my family, um, my mom was divorced uh, when I was a young kid, like three. Um, I, I think, I think I was just primed. I remember Mrs. Tangan, who's, who was at the, in the time of, she was our small group leader. We all went to home, her house and there's about seven or eight of us. And she brought us to this charismatic mass downtown Seattle. And we were like, what on earth is this? And I, but I remember it specifically, um, of course we made fun of it, sort of mocked it a little, but, but then, but it went on and on and on. So like, well, we just better go. So I remember the next day, um, I woke up and something was different on my heart. And as simply as I started reading my Bible and Mrs. Tangan, after my, um, after that, and after our classes would then spend about an hour or two hours. I'm just talking to me and pouring into me. Now, in the meantime, Mrs. Tangan was dying of cancer and she had a brain tumor. She had three daughters and um, she was just the joy of the, of the parish. You know, we talk about redemptive suffering. Well, I'll tell you, I'm a priest today because of her, because she just poured and poured into me. And so much so, you know, I'll never forget. And, and she said, why don't you pray over me? You just experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And let's just ask Jesus to heal my cancer through you. I'm like, okay. I said, now, how do you do this? And she's like, well, put your hand on my head and say, Jesus, I say, Jesus, you know, from the mouth of babes. And I guess I said, are you healed? She goes, well, let's see what happens. Well, she was ultimately healed. I believe she's in heaven. Um, and uh, so much. So, I mean, I was, I was uh, at the time at eighth grade, I got to be one of the Eucharistic ministers for the precious blood. Um, but it really said, but there was about six of us that were really impacted. Um, and for the next four years, we part of a Bible study. And, and wow. I mean, it was life changing. And then from there, I went on net to national evangelization teams. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do? I was a youth minister, but deep down, I knew now, I wanted I want to, to know be why. Let's let's you're, you're jumping through some big hoops here, Hoop. which okay, is sorry. amazing. No, no, I love this. It's um, it's one of these things that as we hear the story unfold, part of it is we're connecting it to our own lives. So here's what I'm thinking to myself. Okay, so I've got a couple of boys, and one of them was confirmed, and he is going to a Bible study with some of his high school classmates. They meet early in the morning, not Friday nights, which would probably be better, uh, but early in the morning and um, going on net. That's a huge decision, right? So I've got a daughter that is doing missionary work, um, not through net, but through another uh, international uh, missionary sending organization. Um what was it that made you sense a, a call to go from a Bible study, which, you know, it, you're living your faith and you're feeling you're in the word to make you say, I want to do net. I, I, I should check this out. And then can you remember anything about that process? Um, and remember now there's a lot of parents of high schoolers and they're wondering, how do I help sow the seeds in my kids of a potential call to even do something like that with their lives? You know, I think one thing I would say to parents out there is this. Um, number one, expose your young people to as much stuff through the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning Steubenville conferences. Um, it would mean, um, uh, yeah, Bible studies. Exposure is everything. To me, I was... Um, went to a lot of conferences and there's an, and Tom, you would know these people who was my heroes. Some people would have been football players. My hero was father Mike Scanlon. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy now, God rest his soul, who really God used him to, you know, through the Franciscan university, um, Dr. Ralph Martin, um, numerous priests that those were my idols. And so I, they gave, but I think the difference is this. I was set on mission at a young age, number one. I knew God wanted to use me at a young age. Now, how did you People know that? How did you know that? Um, was it a desire in the heart? There was just something I think that there was a desire. There was a desire. Um, and it was just desire to, 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 to let people know that they were enough. Um, uh, you know, I, in high school, a buddy of mine ran this high school Bible study. And I remember faltering one time and I was sort of like struggling and just what high school kids do. And I'll never forget Dave Lagerschultz, God rest his soul, who um, devout, devout Christian young man. Um, I remember he sat down with me, said, you're more than what you're doing. Ooh, you're more like than that. your behavior. You're more than that. And so what ended up happening is I just made a deep commitment. 
and and I think I was just set on a trajectory of being um, a missionary. I think a component of that, Tom, and a part of my story of being dyslexic is the fact that I was put in this special ed room at the high school, and it wasn't just kids who had brain eat issues, but I had kids, you know, kids who at the time we didn't call it autism, but I had kids who were autistic and other other challenges in their life. And I think I developed a compassionate heart for the broken. Um, and the way the Lord has used me in all my ministry has always been with the brokenhearted. And, wow. and so I would say from all high school, I had an experience at a conference. They were offering this new thing called NET back then. NET wasn't what it was today internationally. It was just a, a couple teams. And they just said, yeah, come on over. And eight of us drove over from Seattle and forever my life was changed because I think what where we're missing the mark with young people is we're, I think we can over pour in a young person. We can give them to, you know, we got to do this for them and we got to do this. We got to send them out. You know, the apostles after Pentecost, they didn't then go to theology. Mm-hmm. They didn't get all this stuff. They went out, they began to proclaim the gospel and they got it. And you could do it at 13 or 30, but I'll tell you, man, the gospel today is, is easier to share and the receptivity of the Holy spirit and the receptivity of conversion. But are you willing to walk with and speak truth in the life of people? And I desired that. I will never forget hearing a, a, a talk by Ralph Martin when I was 14. I nearly lost my mind at this conference. And I'm jumping up and down. And I'm thinking to myself, I want, I, you know, I want to be that guy. That's who I want to be in life. And what's so interesting, I say, Dr. Ralph Martin, one of a healing, because I really couldn't read. And I remember um, in, uh, about a year after I was encountered the Holy Spirit, I was in ninth grade. And I sat down and read this book called Crises of Truth. And uh, it was one of his first books he ever really wrote that hit national news. And, and I read the whole book. And my mom said to me, she goes, Sonny, what are you reading? Like this book. She goes, Paul, you really can't read that. Well, you read the whole book. Like, mom, it's something to hurt me. She goes, well, God is doing something in you for you to sit down and read a 300-page book. But I read it in about four days. The cool thing was, here's a story, is I ended up, um, I was doing some ministry down in Denver, and I was invited by his associate, Peter Herbeck, to come to one of their leaders' meetings. Well, there's me, and then all their associates, about 20 of us on this retreat. And I told that story, and Ralph was sitting right next to me. And I, it was sort of cool. He had, I had the book with me and he signed it. And, but I think from there, my life was forever changed from confirmation to net. And then the journey to priesthood kept continuing. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm talking today with Father Paul Herrick. He is uh, the campus minister at, um, uh, Washington State University, as well as the pastor of two parishes down in southern Washington, St. Boniface Parish in Uniontown and St. Gall Parish in Colton, as well as at the St. Thomas More Student Center at WSU. 
Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Today on the program, uh, Father Paul, talking with you uh, about your journey to the priesthood and getting some of the sort of the bigger building blocks that laid the foundation for the Lord's call for your uh, call for your life. So you came through this amazing experience of confirmation, built upon it with Bible studies that were a consistent part of your life in high school, and then the call to go on net. Okay, so you come back. Is there any story? Can you think of, uh, if I just want to say, tell me one story that stands out in your mind as like transformative or indicative of what God did in your life on net? You know, I think it was, um, ministry was beautiful, you know, retreat work and stuff like that. I think the one thing is um, I was incredibly confident in my abilities. Some might call it arrogant, <laughs> but what 18 year old should be a little cocky. And I was plenty cocky. Um, and God humbled me. And I'll never forget, I got on the net and there was, at that time, there's only 40 people. And there was this guy there who just the most annoying, he just annoyed me. And he was sort of a, an, a dorky guy and sort of, a, but he loved to be the center of attention. Some would say, well, more than me. Um, and, and I thought, well, I, I don't, I can just avoid this guy. Well, he ended up uh, being in all my small groups. I'm like, uh and I, and I, my disdain for him just was waning more and more. And, and then uh, about four weeks into the whole net process, that's when they picked their teams. And um, I was asked if I would be willing to be on their new thing called the home team. And I would stay in St. Paul and they had a big uh, retreat center there and work out of there and just travel locally. I said, great. I, I didn't like to drive around much. Well, they're starting to pick the teams and pick the teams. And then they get down to six of us. And I look behind me and there's three guys left, myself, Bill, and this guy named Tom. And I'm like, are you kidding? Of course, I'm saying this. I'm like, oh, hi. And he didn't know how I felt about him. I ended up, he was on my team to what? To He ended up, he and I ended up sharing a room. The man was annoying me. I mean, he just annoyed and he just, I mean, and he was the guitar player. How bad was I? I would say, I hope you break your guitar strings. And I'll never forget, it came to a head about four months in and, and one of the directors, we had to go and do a three-hour trip. We had to drive three hours away up in Minnesota, some place way up in the, in the, in the, in the rural area. And he goes, you two are driving together. Figure this out. Well, we did. I, we, he said, we did talk to each other. At that point, it got pretty tense. And anyway, long story, we had it out for about an hour. This is how I think about you. I think you're this. Da, da, da. You know what? At the end of three hours, we prayed together. 
And his name is Father Tom Argavichus, and he's a priest in the Diocese of uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis. And I consider Tom one of my dearest friends. But that was just a neat experience of, you know, things happen like that. We're both young. But I would say just living the life with brothers. I think the greatest need is Christians are really lonely people. We do a lot or we don't know how to be vulnerable. And I think the beauty of organizations like NET or any faith-based organization that it's, they're on mission, but you're on mission together. Amen. That's Father Paul Herrick sharing some of these stories. Wow. Uh, Father Paul, when I hear what you're saying, it, it's um, what strikes me is this reality that um, it's sometimes it's the crosses, right? That lead us to the glory. And when I was asking you for a story, I was thinking I, there was probably a pretty high likelihood you were going to talk about some miracle that happened when you, uh, your team prayed with someone and they regained their sight or something, yes. uh, something else miraculous like that. And what you bring up is, well, the, the guts, the guts of discipleship, which is take up your cross, follow me every day, die to yourself. The Lord wants to sow seeds into your life, but you've got to up get to pull up some of those boulders. You got to pull out some of those thorns. If you want this to be good soil and you want it to bear fruit, that's, that's the long, hard road of transformation, right? The slow work of God, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so yeah. thanks for sharing yeah. that story. Yeah. That's a bit that of was, a humbling story to share. At, that was only at 19. I'm mean, 18. I was 18. I mean, and, and, and thanks be I, to God, you've never had to go through it again. No, I, I've been perfect. <laughs> 40 years to go, man, no problems. Yeah, <laughs> that is so funny. So, so Father Paul, you, on that experience, um, the idea of experiencing brothers, right? So one of the things that I think is a very important growth point in the life of a disciple is when we learn to live the distinction between friends whom we choose and brothers who are given to us. And the Lord calls us into relationships of brotherhood with certain men, men for men, women for women, who can help support us, encourage us, and hold us accountable, support us when we're struggling, cheerlead us on, and encourage us when we're doing well, and hold us accountable in those areas where we need someone to have permission to speak into our lives to help us be at our very best. And so that takes a brother. That takes someone who hears a call and says yes to a call to be a brother in the Lord more than just a friend. So I think that that's probably one of the beautiful ways of trying to describe the, the concept of brotherhood that you experienced with the now Father Tom, who is a friend, but began as a brother, as a brother that you didn't want to receive. Right. Right. I, I, I couldn't even, I mean, I've done a lot. I've been really blessed, Tom. And I mean, you can say the same thing and, you know, um, done lots of ministry. God had lots of really amazing opportunities, a lot of travel, but you know what? Um, I can tell you a lot of cool stories about what the Lord's done, but you know, it's my journey is that if it, I wouldn't be a priest today, if it wasn't for the people in my life who constantly spoke truth to the lie mm -hmm. and a part of, you know, um, being dyslexic. And I really believe the lie that 
you know, I, college would never be an option for me, or this wouldn't be an option. And, 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 and so I, I think it's, it's people that walk with people, you know, I, it's always an interesting thing. We remember in the book of Acts after Pentecost and the church grew by 3000 and they knew each other by what, how they, it was their love that transformed them. It was this genuine hunger uh, you know, at, here at the center, one thing that it's really obvious is the young guy came in. This is a great story about uh, three weeks ago with one of our students who's a freshman. And um, he walks in and, and I said, hey, how are you, Justin? He goes, hi, I'm Justin. I'm like, well, hi, how are you? And so they're doing their homework and he comes up to me. He goes, what am I feeling right now? Because I said, well, what do you what do you believe? He goes, well, I'm an agnostic. Well, I was like, that's called love. He goes, Father, this it's overwhelming me. So w- we had confession times, and uh, I hear confessions every day from for a, for a half hour before mass. And his friend went to confession. He just sat outside in the chapel, and his friend's like, he comes up to me, and this kid's he goes. Well, can I go to confession? I'm like, well, buddy, that's not how it really works. But do you want to talk? He goes, yeah, could we talk? And so this is not breaking the seal of confession. But he did say to me, Father, in about an hour, something's changed in my life. And I said, what do you think? He goes, what? It's about this piece. And he talked and he was a good kid, quieter, very, you know, one of the STEM students I work with a lot of. And he goes, I've never experienced this kind of hope. And you know what, Tom, this is the quintessential thing with young people today, you know, is that they, there's so, there's so much hopelessness because this kid, I always say to students, you know what, you're going to get a degree, you're going to get a job and you're going to make a bunch of money. And then what? The then what should be, you better sign a check, write a check to Father Paul Herrick at Catholic Student Center. <laughs> but then what after you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that's one classic example of hundreds. Um, you know, I've done ministry for going on 40 years. The gospel's the same. It's the same gospel, um, but a different era. It's now, I think it's, it, the different era now is there's more on the plate and there's, there's a higher cost in the culture in which we're living in. Yeah, amen. That's Father Paul Herrick joining me today on the program. Father Paul is, as I've mentioned before, he is at the St. Thomas More Student Center at WSU as the campus minister at Washington State University, along with being the pastor of St. Boniface Parish in Uniontown and St. Gall Parish in Colton. That's in eastern Washington. So, Father Paul, um, We didn't really cover much about your time in the seminary, but I would say this, that coming out of the seminary, one of the things that I would do in talking to my friends who went on to be ordained as priests, I stayed in touch with a number of them. And the first question I would ask them when we would speak on the phone is I'd say, who are your priests? Where are you finding priestly fraternity? Where are you finding your priestly support? because you need brothers in the priesthood, brothers that, again, are going to support you, encourage you, and hold you accountable. Um, You're talking about the importance of this in your own journey through life. Um, 
how difficult is it for priests today to find that kind of priestly fraternity that will be authentic and profound, that will help you, priests, be for us who we really need you to be, holy fathers who will lead and provide and protect us, who will teach and govern and sanctify us through your lives, through who you are and through how you enact the priestly ministry in your own place, in your own way. I It, I, it was always striking to me the way in which my, my friends, my, my brothers in the Lord who went on to be ordained had a very mixed experience. Some were able to find it in a Jesu Caritas group. Others were able to find it through maybe, but more rarely, the priests they actually were assigned with. But increasingly over the years, they were often assigned alone. And so it was a matter of them saying, I make it a commitment. I make this a primary commitment of mine to make sure that I have that support, which is not just a protection, but also an inspiration to help me live my priestly life. So that's a very long windup to my question, but a lot of laity are, they look around and they wonder how do priests, how do they do it? They, they can, they're often isolated. How do they experience that sense of priestly fraternity? Yeah, Tom, that's that's a lot. I'm going to be really honest. I don't think most priests do it. I think most priests, I think most priests I know love being a priest. Mm -hmm. I think you have happy priests. I think they love to serve their people. Um, I think they're faith-filled. You know, they're got priests are still getting up in the middle of the night and going to the hospital. There's still, I mean, there's all that. Um, but there's when you said authentic, I think it's that authentic relationship. Authentic relationship really comes down to is one word, and that's vulnerability. You, you know, you and your wife Carrie, you know, you can have you have you have a, a lot of children and you can be about the busyness of being married and do all the right church things. But unless you are authentically vulnerable with each other, and like this is where I'm this is where I need to be seen. I think for priest, um, it's the deep desire to be known, to be loved. And to be seen, known and seen. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like the same way you say to your sons or your daughters, good job. We desire to hear good job. Good job, father. Um, we desire, um, I, you know, there's a lot of people. I don't have a need to live with priests, for instance, in that kind of community. Um, I, th I think most priests would out, be out there and say, it's nice to have dinner with people, priests that live together. And it's a good thing that they would pray together. There's a lot of pass through time, but I think it's to be known. It's, it's, and I've, and I, what I've done in my life, I have two really good priest friends. One of them is, and I'll shout out to father David Mulholland over in, um, he's out in Tacoma and Dave and I have journeyed together, um, and then a very good friend of mine over here that the priest friend and I, we talk every day. So I think every priest is different, but I'm going to say this. Every priest needs a good spiritual director. 
They need a place that they can be really vulnerable. And it, yes, even times exposing their own brokenness. And I think we, we hold things back. Uh, we have tons of programs out there for priests, but at the end of the day, we marry, we bury, we baptize. Um, we do a lot of driving. Um, but I'll tell you, every morning in my prayer, I have a wonderful cross and my relationship with Jesus as a priest is, is I couldn't get more authentic only because I have to just, I, I give him what I have every morning. And I think most priests I know, um, they do that. I think most priests, I'm going to say 90% of the priests I know are, are genuinely shepherds, father, they're pour their hearts out. And I would say what people, you know, it's, you hear this, oh, I come for your homily, or I come for this, or I come for that. I'm like, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad you like my homilies. But if if they don't feel as though there's a connection with me um, as a genuine person, you know, um, I don't overshare about my personal life and when I preach, but I, I give them a glimpse of my struggle. I give them a glimpse of what I'm going through. And I would say that priesthood today um, is really rooted in that, you know, you're a father of, of, of a lot of children, you know, and you have to say, I'm sorry to, mm -hmm. I have to apologize. I apologize constantly because <laughs> I'm always usually doing something to hurt someone, not intentionally, but I got a big personality. And, but I think priests today, I think I'll tell you right now, priests want a relationship with their bishops. Um, that role, I think that's the most essential role in the clerical world, as we know it, in the Catholic Church anyway, is, there, is that relationship. And I have a great bishop, Bishop Thomas Daly. He's a great bishop. And, and he lets you somewhat alone to do your thing. But if you call him, he calls you right back. I feel like he has my back if something's going wrong. So it's a deep relationship. But you know what? It's a lived relationship. It's a lived relationship. Yeah. Amen. That's Father Paul Herrick joining me today. Father Paul is, again, at, uh, at Washington State University, pastor of a couple of parishes. Father Paul, um, as you look around, one of the things that I think a lot of Catholics see is um, we're at a, I don't know, a point of crisis, a point of great challenge where Lots of Catholics that are being brought up in the faith walk away from the faith. I think you see it, you face this reality head on at Washington State University, and you probably see it in your parishes as well, um, where grandparents and parents are in tremendous places of suffering because their kids no longer practice the faith. Right. And so a lot of Catholics are trying to like, figure out, what do I do? What do I do right now to... Um, not drop the ball in my call when it comes to living my faith, when it comes to sharing my faith, and when it comes to handing on my faith, especially in families. So in your experience as a pastor and your experience with college kids and just what you sense and see in prayer, um, what would you see as a couple of the key things that parents ought to be aware of, or, or faith-filled Catholics ought to be aware of regarding the call of the moment, 
what's being asked of us today with all the calls and challenges that we're facing? It's a really um, good question. You know, um, I would say this is number one to all parents out there and who are listening to this is don't give up hope is the Holy Spirit's in charge is don't give up hope. Uh, two, um, I believe when we say, you know, there's a song, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not our battle. You know, St. Saint, Saint, um, Charles de Foucault. He's the saint now, isn't he, Tom? I think. I think he's a blessed at least. Is he a saint? Did um, Pope Francis make him a saint? I think he did. Well, we figured that out. No, I think you're right. I think he did. And he's got that wonderful prayer. It's the prayer of abandonment. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let your only, let your will be done in me. And I think it's that sense of a parents have got to say, I was given these children. I'm giving them back to you. I think it's that sense. Parents stop trying to control what the Holy Spirit is doing in your child. Be a conduit, be a conduit of the, the receptivity of the sacraments, but you be the example to them who Jesus is. We've got to make these internal churches start at home. You know, the domestic church is your families. Stop blaming. Stop saying we wish we had this. Start with what where you're at. And then, and then three, I think dialogue and conversation with your child about what they're um, experiencing. Um, and let them know that this is what the truth is. Truth and love equals freedom. Truth and love equals freedom. And the more that they experience truth and they experience love, that equals freedom. And truth is we're going to mass every Sunday. That's the truth. (laughs) We're going to pray every day. That's the truth. And I think parents just have to recognize it's their battles. But I also think there's an element of, you know, I don't want to say protecting them, but I do think that uh, I'm a big fan of you need to go where you're being fed. I'll never forget an old brother. He's now gone now, uh, Brother Michael. Always when I was a young man, he said, Father, not Father. I always called myself Father when I was 19. (laughs) (laughs) He said, Paul. Go wherever the fire is and travel to it. <laughs> like, and I did. I traveled all over the place where the fire was happening. I would go to encounter more of the Holy Spirit. And I think within family, sometimes you do some drastic things for the sake and salvation of your own children. You do some big things so that they can experience more of the fire. And I, yeah, yeah. But don't lose hope. And I think the whole idea, and, and Tom, you certainly have inspired me this on your radio, is, is have a devotional life as a family. Pray the rosary as a family. Nighttime prayer as a family. And then married couples, pray as a couple. Let you be uh, Joseph and Mary to your, to your children. Uh, be that example. And then, by and large, I have seen... And the only part of growing older is I, the cool thing is I've seen families who do this and do this. It's not that there's not a lot of bumps around and there's a lot of sometimes rebellion and just trying to find their own way. But you know what? You're older a lot longer than you're younger, but your youth will define how you're going to get older. 
the first 25 years of your life, and God willing, y'all live to be 100, defines the next 75 years of your life, defines habits and, and everything like that. So it's a battle, but it's not yours, parents. Surrender your children back to the Lord and just trust what our church uh, gives you to guide them. Amen. That's Father Paul Herrick joining me today on the program. Father Paul is uh, sharing uh, some beautiful wisdom here. Father Paul, when I think about this idea of giving your kids back to God, I, I talk about praiseworthy desperation. It's being desperate before the Lord. It's being desperate in coming before the Lord in surrender, in entrustment. I find that that prayer of St. Charles de Foucault, that prayer of abandonment as radical entrustment. I love that. I love that word entrustment. Mm -hmm. And and having that sense of faith that we can have unlimited trust and entrustment of oneself and all that we're facing, that that is a huge help. And I, I say that, especially when parents are carrying heavy burdens especially for parents who have been wounded or are in trauma or what's called secondary trauma because of what is happening in their kids' lives and how it's affecting their families. Wow. Learning and trustment is so vital. Wow. Wow, Tom. I, I think this, the idea, I do a lot of work in inner healing work and you talk about, you know, you, you, pan, you, you tend to, you pass on the joys of your own faith, or you can pass on the traumas of your own trauma to your children. And I think there's this deep fear that people have around that. And I just can concur more. I think I know an impact in my own life is really um, had to go through my own healing um, in my own life around some things that I encountered. It was really hard. Um, and I lived out of the, we talk about lie-based thinking, you know, I'm not enough. Or, you know, I think, I think, you know, one thing where we go back to the priest, you know, the priest identity is priest, but priest identity is beloved son. That the, the, the heart is, is the prodigalness in all of us that we desire the father to go running after us. And I think that trustworthiness in families, um, I would say this, it's okay to go get help. I've got 20 students in therapy right now. Mm-hmm. And boy, it's transformational. Plus yeah, yeah. doing inner healing work with them. Well, let's take care of it now and see what happens. And it's it's so amazing to see young people's lives come alive. They lived their life half full all the time. And they never thought it was going to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Father Paul, I think about my way of looking at the idea of getting therapy for a marriage relationship or marital counseling, I always considered that a failure. I considered that a sign of, oh, you know what? We're just not doing something right. Well, when Carrie and I faced the most difficult trials in our lives, um, when we experienced just um, some real, real tribulation around our teens, um, we could not figure it out on our own. 
we stayed in the same like lane. And this is just so typical. We just stay in the same lanes of thinking and acting when life was good and ordinary, but it just stopped working. And we needed help to break that mold and that approach. And a, a wonderful therapist helped us do that. And so now I'm I'm someone who says, get help, get some therapy, get somebody in there who can speak in and help break or disrupt the typical ways that you're looking at things because you're going to end up with the same answers. And that's just insanity. If you think you're going to overcome the right. trial you're going through that way. So I, I, I just say, amen. Yeah. Great wisdom there, Father Paul. Thank you. Yeah. God's good. And you know, short, they'll that is short-term pain means, but I don't want to go to that pain. You know, I had a young, a young person in my office yesterday and he said, I just feel empty. Like, well, let's speak to the emptiness. First of all, you have you have college students coming to you and saying, I feel empty. I just think that's so powerful. That is so encouraging to me. Oh. So I, I apologize for cutting you off. Please tell no, your story. Uh, Let's hear the story. That's amazing. Well, he came in and he's one of my top students. And I said, well, let's just ask the Lord what that's about. We asked the Holy Spirit to come. He sat, came and he goes, gee, Father, I think the Lord's pointing something out. I'm like, what is that? He goes, I haven't forgiven myself. It's like, you want to do that now? I do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now and speak truth into this young man's life. And then we renounced, we did some renunciation. Most thing, sometimes the most, I think the greatest lie most people live out of is a sense of powerlessness. And so we said, in the name of Jesus, I said to him, I said, now repeat after me, in the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce the lie that I am powerless, weak, and unable to change. Well, he believed that. So therefore, he just, every time he struggled or sinned or anything like that, it was self-deprecation. I'm bad. And he just lived from that life. And I said, well, how are you feeling? Well, the, you know, there's healing when he goes, Father, the peace is so thick. I'm like, amen. You're free. And you know what, Tom? That took 10 minutes. I said, okay, I got to go. <laughs> God love you. And so it doesn't have to be, you know, Jesus Christ walked around for three years. He did a, he did a lot in three years, you know, very, you know, outside the Sermon on the Mount, he was always in talking to the Pharisees and always in their battling, but the Holy Spirit can change radically, but we've got to expose ourselves and be willing to go to those places in our life that so many people are struggling to go to because they feel like they have to do it alone. And if they really knew, if they really knew what I was involved with or the sin or the addiction, I'm like, whatever. We've got to get over our own, I don't need to call it our self-importance around sin. I mean, um, you know, no one, no sin is too creative anymore. I'm like, ask any priest. You're like, yeah, okay, great. But it is certainly intimate for that person. It's not to take away their thing, but I don't, I don't want people to wallow in what they've dealt with. I want them to deal with it. You know, do we believe all speakers love to preach where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Well, you better invite the Holy Spirit in the life of people to experience the freedom, or that's just a nice catchphrase. We have to believe as a church and as a, and a you know, we're going through this year uh, uh, renewal of the Eucharist. 
You know, at the Lamb of God, I say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I keep him there for about 35 seconds. And I let him, I, that behold, the very nature of the word is transformational. And I believe in the life of a young person today, when, when you know, evangelization is easier now than ever. If you get them to the point to behold the Lord. I had a kid at my last university I worked at, Tom. You got me all fired up, Tom. This is um, great. I had a kid who came into the center. He came there because of a girl. You know, that's fine. He was an atheist. I said to this uh, young man, I said, like, hey, she, yeah, she's here. I said, do you want to come to mass? She goes, I haven't been to mass. I've been to mass once. My grandpa's Catholic. I'm like, okay, great. I'll go. So I'm at the last university. And I said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I, I elevated it. And I just kept it there. Tom, the kid's life was transformed immediately. He became Catholic. He was baptized. I mean, he had, he received all the sacraments a year from that point. To this day, this young man who lives in Spokane, who's gone through, he, we talk about trauma. He dealt with, I mean, he inspires me. And so Pentecost now is as relevant now as it was then. We just don't, we have theologized Jesus to nauseum. We talk about it and talk about it. It's time to activate it and begin to do it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's Father Paul Herrick. And Father Paul, believe it or not, we are at the end of our time together. This has been a beautiful program we've had. It's been a real blessing having you on. And I love your sharing, uh, your passion, your exhortation, and the way the Lord is working through you to touch the, the lives and help introduce uh, these college students and so many others to, to the living Lord Jesus who heals, transforms, and saves. Thank you so much, Father Paul, for taking time with me today on the program. You bet, Tom. God bless. And just know, um, I just want to say one thing. Parents, don't give up. Don't give up on your young people. Do not. You fight for their souls. You fight for them. Because if not you, then who? Thanks, Tom. Amen. Thank you, Father Paul.